welcome to another episode of Believe in Bigger Podcast. This is the podcast that helps entrepreneurs and influencers find the tools, the confidence, and most importantly, the faith to believe bigger in their dreams. I'm Dr. Shante, and I have one doozy of an episode for you today. And you know what? I'm going to just give you the disclaimer. Some of y'all might be in your feelings a little bit after this episode, but you know what? I would rather you be temporarily mad at me than for you to sacrifice your dreams, your goals, and your calling long term. Because as I looked at the content of this episode, I said, oh, this might be stepping on toes a little bit. And, you know, I really try not to be, you know, judgy or anything like that. But this is these episodes are designed to challenge us to grow spiritually. You know, it challenged me. I'll say that as I went through the content of this episode, I got convicted and I was like, oh, I need to tighten up on some things. And so hopefully it will do the same thing for you. So today we are going to be talking about getting out of your drought. And our guiding scripture comes from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 40. But our guiding verse is actually the tail end of uh, chapter 17. And it says this, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have you and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. So today we're going to be talking about getting out of your drought. And in order for me to kind of tell you how to do that, I have to give you some background and context. So the first thing we're going to be talking about is Ahab and Jezebel. Number two, we're going to be talking about no rain, no gain. And number three, the true and living God. So let's get right into it. Now, you know, if you've listened to me for some time, I am a lover of the Old Testament. And my two favorite people in the Old Testament are Elijah and Elisha. They were just so gangster, you know, just man. And so 1 Kings and 2 Kings is a chronology along with 1 and 2 Chronicles in the Bible of all of the kings of Israel and Judah. And some of the kings were great and wise and obedient and trusted God. And some of them were evil kings. And Ahab is definitely one of the evil kings. And so let me give you a little bit of background about Ahab and his wife Jezebel. So at this time, Ahab is the king of the north, like Game of Thrones, king of the north. So he's the king of northern Israel, and he married this woman outside of the culture. She was a Sidonian woman, and her name was Jezebel. And she was evil, okay? Like, there's just no two ways about it. She was evil. If you've ever seen Game of Thrones, she was like Cersei, okay? So if you need, like, a picture or a personification to say, you know, what kind of queen was Jezebel, Jezebel was very much like Cersei. And... Jezebel was a worshiper of Baal. Baal is a false god. He is a a pagan god, definitely not the god of the Jews, not the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she was a champion of paganism. And so paganism is kind of like this religious ideology that worships nature and the gods and the goddesses, you know, that are outside of Christian religion and worship, certainly outside of Jewish worship. And she despised Jewish laws. She despised Jewish laws, Jewish customs, and religion. So much so that Jezebel routinely had prophets executed. So she was having people killed. And at this time, because Ahab and Jezebel were in leadership and they began to lead many Jews away from God, they discouraged 
the worship of God and encourage the worship of idols instead. And so as a result, many Jews did what a lot of us do today. They tried to kind of blend the worship of idols with the worship of God. And some of you might hear that and think, I don't be worshiping no idols. What you talking about? Just hold on. Let me get through the episode and I will make it very clear what I mean. But they tried to kind of blend those two worldviews because they knew the word. They knew the word that had been passed down from the generation of Moses and from their fathers and their forefathers. So they knew what the word of God said. But as it often happens, when people become prominent in prominent leadership and people began to follow what that leadership does, even if they're evil, they just begin to say, well, if the president is doing it, it must be okay for me. If the king and queen are doing it, if they encourage it, it must be okay for me. And so they started to put their faith in objects. Okay. So like crystals and sage and beads and animals and goddesses and statues and things like that. And they started to worship and put their trust in those objects for things like healing and peace and prosperity and fertility. And as a result of that, Elijah, the prophet, okay. So Elijah, the God man, he called for a drought. So in first Kings 17, one, how it starts in the uh, previous chapter from our text, It says, Elijah, the foreigner who was an alien resident from Gilead, told King Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives in whose presence I'm standing, there will be neither dew nor rain these next several years, except when I say so. And so because the people had turned their backs on God, because there was so much evil, because there was so much worship of idols and things and gods other than the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Elijah, the prophet, empowered by God, called for a drought. And so as a result, there was no rain in the land for three and a half years. And what happened? It devastated the land. It devastated the crops and the cattle. It created a famine and people were dying because there was no food and nothing would grow. So that's the context. That's the background of all that's happening for this episode. So that brings us to no rain, no gain. I know this for a fact because when I post about it on social media, I get so many messages about it because I know that people feel it in their spirit. But some of us are experiencing drought right now. We're experiencing spiritual dryness. And what spiritual drought is defined as, I love this this definition that I found online. It says, Spiritual drought is when people feel distant from God or are struggling to grow spiritually. They don't see God working. The burdens of life are pressing in and they begin to feel discouraged. They search for God in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Psalm 63 and 1. And so when you're experiencing spiritual drought, that means that, you know, you are working on this platform and you feel like this is the work that God has called you to do. And, you know, you are putting efforts out there. You feel like you're ticking all the boxes, right? You following all the strategies. You're creating opt-ins. You've done a newsletter. You're blogging on a consistent basis. You're doing your social media posting. And you do all of that for months and months. And then you go from mm, 17 to 34 followers. Or you go from 141 to 152. And in the meantime, it just seemed like everywhere you look, folks is just popping up and bumper crops and things just sprouting and blooming for them. And you just begin to feel discouraged. And so you become 
spiritually broken and spiritually frustrated because you just don't see things that are happening. You are in a place of spiritual dryness. And so I wanted to kind of break down some of the causes, some of the reasons why we experience spiritual drought. And this is one of those things where if the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't, disregard it. But here are some of the things that bring about spiritual drought. So one of those things is unchecked lust. 1 Peter 2.11 says, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. And so fantasizing about these dudes in the beard gang on Twitter and on these Facebook groups or lusting after these Instagram models and things like that, that compromises your spirit, that compromises your spiritual walk. And the Bible says that earthly and fleshly lust will wage war. Those are strong words, rage war against your soul. And so those become strongholds that become really difficult to defeat and overcome. So in other words, you know, stay away from these hashtags and groups and beards and all that foolishness, you know, like don't get drawn into that because it compromises your spirituality. Number two, pride. James 4, 6 says God opposes the proud, meaning he stands against the proud. And some of us are really full of ourselves. You know, when we try to tell people and and say, hey, sis, or hey, brother, you know, I just was concerned, you know, because I saw that you were kind of going in this direction. I'm grown, you know, don't come trying to tell me or just because I do this don't mean this. And, and just because I follow so-and-so don't mean that. And, you know, so we've kind of reached a point where people can't even tell us in love that they're concerned about us because we become so defensive and so deflective and so talk to the hand. And who are you to come and talk to me? You need to sweep around your own door. I mean, This is who we are. If I'm lying, I'm flying. You know that this is how we can be. And so sometimes we become so full of pride that the spirit cannot penetrate. You know, we immediately feel like we have to fight and defend rather than doing what the Bible says, be slow to speak and quick to hear. Sometimes we need to absorb it and say, okay, is this person coming from a place of love? Are they coming from a place of haterade and hateration? Like, how are they coming to me and be receptive? Number three, love of money. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so some of us have been so consumed with materialism. We've been so consumed with making sure that we're rocking the latest clothes and that we got the latest hairstyles and that we living in a good house and we driving a certain car and we able to take certain trips and have so many stamps on our passport because hashtag travel is the new club and all that sort of thing that we just become so consumed with the pursuit of those things that we abandon our pursuit of the gospel. We abandon abandon our pursuit of the things that God is calling us to do with our platform and with our ministries and with our spheres of influence. Another reason, and this is a big one, okay, because I used to be so good at this and then, you know, I, I fell off. And that is lack of Bible reading, meditation, and prayer. So, I mean, let's just keep it real. You know, a lot of us spend a lot more time on social media and on Netflix and chasing money and out kicking it, you know, turning up. 
than we do with God. You know that we and this isn't to say that you need to be worshiping from sunup to sundown, you know, and that you need to spend every lunch break and every time, you know, you got 10 minutes that that's what you need to do. But the thing is, is that when you've lost that zeal, when you've lost that hunger, when you've lost that sense of urgency, like I need to read the word or I need to spend some time in prayer or I need to talk to God like my day ain't even right. And think about that, how so many people you'll hear, you'll hear them say things like, oh, girl, I can't make it without my coffee. Like if I America runs on Dunkin, if I don't have my caffeine by nine o'clock, I'm going to be a a, a biatch all day. You know, like you, you hear people say things like that, like there is no way I can survive without my iced coffee. There is no way I can survive without my Pepsi. There's no way I can survive without my cigarettes. There's no way I can survive without a drink at five o'clock. Like there's some there's some things in our lives that we place urgency on and we say I can't make it without these things and then it comes back to do we place that same urgency on spending that time in prayer study and meditation with the Lord another cause of spiritual drought is too much trust in our own efforts and so Zechariah 4 6 says not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And so social media will have you thinking that you can just grind and hustle and team, no sleep your way to success and not trust God to make up the difference. But the Bible says some plants, some water, but it is God who gives the increase. And so sometimes we forget where our blessings truly come from. The Bible says apart from him, We can do nothing. And so sometimes we see these narratives of these quote unquote self-made men and self-made women, these millionaires and billionaires, but they are only kept by the grace of God because at any time God could pull his hand of protection away from them. And then what is, they don't have the ability to grind anymore. I mean, you get hit by a bus, what you going to do? So apart from God, we can do nothing, but sometimes we get so rooted in our own efforts and we start grinding away and hustling away and it's not to say that you shouldn't grind and it's not to say that you shouldn't hustle but you should absolutely be clear on where the blessing and where the increase and where the breakthrough is going to come from because that's going to come from God and then last but not least one of the things that causes spiritual drought is serving other gods and so This looks like you believe in God, but you also believe in crystals and energies and the universe and a higher power and Diddy and Beyonce and Oprah. And a lot of times we repost things. I mean, I see this. I'm I'm, I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know and see every day. We repost things that some of these people say, like it's the gospel truth like it's the gospel of mark or the gospel according to luke like it is scripture and we are so clear on what they have to say that sometimes we don't know what god has said and we would be lying to ourselves if we did not acknowledge that these celebrities and some of these other worldly ideologies are worshiped i mean don't get me wrong i like those crystals and gems and stones as jewelry You know, I especially love the ones where they kind of like got the copper wiring around them. I think that that looks so dope and and ethnic and cute. And would I wear it with a maxi dress? Yes, I would. Am I trusting in that for my healing, hope, restoration, blessing and breakthrough? No, (laughs) no, I'm not doing that. Because who made the crystal? Who made the stones? Who made these things? 
God. It always comes back to the source. You know, you want to burn sage and incense and things like that because it creates the atmosphere? Cool. But who made the incense? Who made fire? Who created these things? God did. It always comes back to the source. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong, you know, with having these things. But when you get to a point where you are trusting these things, then that becomes idol worship. That becomes a form of idolatry. And we have to be careful that we don't fall into that. And if you're being honest, you know, nowadays, if you mention Jesus in some circles, you'll get cussed out. Like I'm trying to remember... Oh, um, so we just recently had these two suicides, and I have a whole episode about that coming up. But when Anthony Bourdain committed suicide and people were writing their condolences on social media, somebody said, this is so sad. Only Jesus is the answer. You know, Jesus will restore your hope and peace. And when I tell you that the people after that went in on that person, Jesus, who was Jesus? Jesus doesn't even exist. And who is God? You know, that's something that idiots believe. Or that's something that, you know, slave owners used to try to make slaves believe. And, and I mean, went in on this person. So we would be lying to ourselves if we did not acknowledge that we live in a world, okay, that as Christians, as believers, that we live in a world where worldly ideologies, idolatry, paganism, the worship of nature and idols and things, where that is highlighted and preferred and that any mention of God, Christ, you know, becomes relegated to evil or fairy tales or you become really unpopular you know at the picnic because you're talking about God because that is the world that we're living in where it's becoming increasingly hostile to be a Christian which brings us to the true and living God so let me hit you with a disclaimer I'm about to read you a whole lot of scriptures but that's because it's part of the story so this brings us back to where we started so at the end of first Kings chapter 17 it says, when, ah- when Ahab saw Elijah, so when King Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. And so Ahab was pissed at Elijah because he was like, this the mofo that caused all the crops to dry up. He the one that caused this drought to happen. And so Elijah got to the point where he said, let's settle this once and for all. So in verse 19, he says, now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me. So in other words, bring everybody out, man, woman and child, bring all the Israelites out, bring them out, bring them out. Meet me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Asherah is almost like a a generic term for idol worship, okay, for that pagan lifestyle. And so now we get to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 21 through 39. So I'm going to read you all of this, but it's going to go quick and trust me, just follow the story. Verse 21 says, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if you believe Baal to be God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, am left a prophet to the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is the true God. And all the people said, it is well spoken. So basically, Elijah said, okay, it's time for a showdown. Let's settle this once and for all. If you think that Baal is the true God, then let's prepare a sacrifice at the altar. So we're going to cut up the bulls. We're going to lay them on the, on the altar, but we're not going to set them on fire. And let the prophets of Baal call out to Baal, and I'm going to call on God. And the God that answers by fire, that is the true God. And all of the Israelites was like, okay, cool, it's a bet. So verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry louder for he is the God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep and you got to wake him up. And they cried louder and they cut themselves after their own custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. So this is an all-day affair. This is a spectacle. So there's like these 450 prophets of Baal calling out, calling out to the point of tears and cutting themselves and making a complete spectacle all the way until midday, but there is no answer. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two planks of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and the wood. And so as he's preparing the bull, because remember, this is the God that's supposed to answer by fire. He said, wet it up. Let's get it soaking wet. And so they filled up these four big buckets of water and filled up the trench. Verse 34. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So now there's so much water spilling out over this trench that it is like soaked, like pretty much almost flood-like conditions at this altar. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Verse 36, and at the time of offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. So basically, God showed up and showed out. He didn't just answer by fire, but he answered by fire and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar, consumed the rocks, the wood, and the water. And it was for the glory of God, not so Elijah could get some pub, but he said, Lord, so that people can know who you are. And so I say all this to say that after that showdown between Elijah and the Baals, guess what happened? It rained. And I mean, it rained hard. Okay. Like sometimes we have rainstorms around here and I'll be like, Ooh, it's raining. Like Jesus coming back. You know, like I thought I saw Noah floating down the street, but you guys know what it is to have heavy rains. That's how hard it rained after Elijah had this showdown with the bales. And so the people turning their hearts back to God is what ended the drought. So if you want to come out of your drought and you find yourself in a place of spiritual dryness because of any of the things that I mentioned in this episode, turn your heart back to the Lord. Get rid of the things that are keeping you from spending time with God, from trusting him. Don't get caught up in all of these worldly ideologies that pull you away. It's like, yeah, that's nice. That's cool. And if that's what you believe, that's what you believe. No shade. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to move forward with what God says do. And so we have to decide, you know, Elijah challenged them at the beginning of this. He said, how long are you going to be limping between two opinions? In other words, how long are you going to try to have a sprinkle of Jesus and a sprinkle of Diddy and a sprinkle of the crystals and a sprinkle of the, sh of the sage? He said, you know, if you're going to serve one, serve one. Okay. But don't be trying to, to straddle the fence. And many of us try to do that. We try to develop our own doctrine. We try to develop our own gospel by putting together a combination of things that suit our needs. And the Bible doesn't work like that. God is not a sprinkle of this, sprinkle of that kind of God. He's very cut and dry. And this is one of the biggest issues that people have with the Bible because they feel like it's so dogmatic. It's so matter of fact. It's so narrow. It's just too narrowly defined because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And that sentence right there is what so many people have an issue with when it comes to trusting God. And so they try to create their own theology that will best suit them. But God is a jealous God, and he wants our complete trust and faith. So we just have to be careful that we are not enticed with some of these worldly ideologies because they become intoxicating to us, and they create spiritual drought and dryness. Woo! So that is it, folks. If you want to come out of your drought, trust God in the story, okay, and walk away from the things, trusting in the things that run counter to our being able to put our full trust in him. So as always, if you have questions, comments, takeaways, holler at your girl at Dr. Shante Says on Twitter, on Instagram, and I will see you.